Here we go on the sermon, and man, I got to tell you, I already told you a second ago, I'm blown away by what the Lord did here in worship today, because you wait till you hear the sermon and understand this idea of what was going on corporately in America and the need, as I prayed, for us to repent, that was not in my field of vision. That, that was, I was talking about this on an entirely different level, and here comes God. And all of a sudden, he just layers this in here, and I'm just praying that I get the connection so that you can see how much God had in mind, not just the sermon I'm a, I thought I was preaching, but the one that he wanted preached even now at this point in time. I mean, it's, it's a blow-away moment. Once again, God is in control, okay, massively. And thank you guys for starting the clock. I'm sure the sermon started, hopefully. Oh, the recording. Okay, um, now, here's my weird question for you. I need you to close your eyes, and I need you to really think about this. I'm not going to have any show of hands or anything. So I just want you to process this because this is a feeling moment. And I want you to check something. And I want you to say, in, in, uh, just answer this question in your mind, just in your heart, okay? What makes God happy? Notice the word. I'm using that word advisedly. What makes God happy? Is it when you help somebody? Is it when you tithe? Is it when you uh, don't fall into a temptation, you resisted it? Does that make him happy? Is it when you worship? Is it when you do a devotional? Do these things make God happy? Is that how you thought about them? Now, keeping your eyes closed, I just want you to think for a second. Just think about, before I even suggest any of these ideas, what do you think make God happy? What do you think makes him happy? Just think about that for a second. Okay? Now, I'm sure some ideas are coming to your head. But what I want us to see is, is for most of us, it, it's a little bit of a reach. We don't, keeping your eyes closed, we don't think about making God happy. That's not how we process our relationship with him. So I want you to see that we don't do that. And now, let's say that there are things you can do that make him happy. Let's say that that's true. How important is that to you? This is a great time to be honest. Because, I mean, you know, is it important enough that you would change your whole life? No, oh, my God, that makes you happy? I will change everything to do that. Or is it kind of like, wow, that's interesting. Okay, I'll fit that into my schedule. Or is it like, oh, I probably should do something about that. Is it like, boy, I really would like to say that I really care a lot about that. I really would change my life for that. But I'm being truthful before you, Lord. It doesn't feel like I really want to do that. See that? At least not as much as I know I should. Because the truth is, we all know in our Christian hearts that if something makes God happy, well, we should do that. And nothing but that, almost, right? I mean, we should really do that. But I want you to take a snapshot of where your heart is. Is that what you really care about? Is that what you really want to do? Do you? Okay? Now take a snapshot of those two things. How hard was it to come up with what would make him happy? And how important is that to you? You got the snapshot in your head? All right, now, keeping your eyes closed. Now I want you to think about somebody that you're just crazy about. If you're married, I hope it's your spouse. But somebody that you really, really love. Whoever that would be. Now, what makes them happy? How hard is it to find that? Don't you all know instantly? You know instantly what makes them happy. And in a very particular fashion, right? Like it's this, this, and this, and this. This makes them happy. <laughs> and some of it is. When I don't do this and this and this, that makes them happy. So you see how easy it is to find that person that you love, what makes them happy, and now go to the next level. How important is it for you to make them happy? Is that important to you? I mean, don't you change your life all the time for this person that you're crazy about? Don't you change your behavior all the time to make them happy? Sometimes you fail, I get it. But isn't it in your heart to want to do that as much as you possibly ever could? And now one last thing. Take a snapshot of that, 
and juxtapose how you felt about what makes God happy and how important it is and what makes this person that you love happy and how important that is to you. Juxtapose those. Mercifully, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands about who wins. But let's be honest. For most people sitting in here, even real people that love God, and for most people here, the likelihood is that you know what the person that you love wants and that you're more willing, it's more important for you. True? Weird, huh? You can open your eyes now. So here's the cool thing about God. First of all, he makes it really clear what, he, what makes him happy. We're going to see it today. And it's like, duh. <laughs> so simple. What makes him happy? But the cool thing about God is he makes it really easy for us to do that. And the even cooler thing about God is is that when you do what makes him happy, it actually is better for you so much that it's obvious to you how much better this is and you want it. I mean, you could almost take God out of the equation and the thing that he asks you to do in order to make him happy is the best thing possible for you. God's amazing. <laughs> God is amazing. It's incredible how he has designed us. In fact, we're going to find out that one of the things that, that you don't want to do the very most in your Christian walk, he has actually made incredibly easy. And as we discovered in worship today, it turns out that when we do this easy thing that he's told us to do, it makes the very biggest difference in our culture. By far. It's going to be a really good sermon we got a really good guy praying for it, John Bateman. John is, I, I've, been, I've been opening, I've been broadening who I think are the elders in this church. We haven't done anything formal on it yet. John is one of the guys I am convinced is, what we do here is we don't vote for elders or we don't think about, what we do is we pray and when we get to the feeling that God has mantled somebody for that job, then we simply recognize it, right? It's a recognition of what God has done. That's what, that's what eldership is to me. A recognition of the anointing that God has placed on a person. And I want to say, John is clearly that. If you know him, you see it. So you see it all over him. So John, uh, whatever you want to do, but eventually lift up the sermon in another church too, okay? Thank you. Almighty God, creator of the universe, you who have created all things and know all things, and yet you tell us that you will be amongst us and in us. Father, we desire desperately to know you more, to see you, to hear you, to touch you, to understand of you how to, how to come close, how to know you that intimately that we would know what makes you happy. And Father, it's hard for us to see and hard for us to hear and so we ask, Father, that you would anoint this moment, this morning, that you would anoint Kurt to speak, Amen. that you would anoint our ears to be open to hear and our hearts to be open to receive. Help us, Father, to take yet another step closer to you, to Amen. fall into your arms like the prodigal son returning home. Help us to just land at your feet, Father. Thank you, to understand Jesus. you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, just, uh, just pray for our missionaries, the halls. Thank as you, they're Jesus. establishing a new work. Thank you, Jesus. In a new place, that you would help them to find the community of believers there and uh, a church, and uh, that they would help bring your truth and your life to that place in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, John. Awesome. I forgot to do this. this take this home. This will help you, too, with all that giving stuff. Sorry, I was supposed to show that. All right. Um, so, with a, what I hope was a pleasant side, scenic sidetrack over the last few weeks, in fact, a little longer than that, with, with baptism and then a few things before that, 
we have been sort of discovering some things that have been, like I said, a nice little scenic diversion. But we're back to our main place, and that is Empowered. And Empowered started out to simply be how do we move in the things of the Holy Spirit? How do we do the things the Spirit wants us to do? How do we actually do them? It has broadened hugely from that, and it has turned into us understanding that what Luke turns out to be is the Lord laying out how he discipled his disciples. And then he's taking us to the exact same journey as we go through Luke. So we went through chapters one through eight, which was college, and we saw the things that Jesus did and were properly astounded. And then we got to chapter nine, where it turned into a master's program, where it started to be hands-on. You start doing these things. And so we started doing these things, and we started going, oh my gosh, <laughs> I can do these things too. And things started happening. And now we're to the end of that master's degree. There is a doctorate to come, right? And that's, he's about to be taken up. The passages that we're in, we're in chapter 15 right now. And when we get to about chapter 18, we're in the final, in fact, in, in just a little bit, Jesus is going to start heading. But so the next thing he does is he's going to start heading for Jerusalem to die. And when he gets taken away, that's the doctoral level where we're now doing it, what he did, Right? But the bottom line is right now we're at the end of that master's and what God is doing is, is that he is having, he is giving us these parables as we said where what he's doing is he's taking everything that we've learned and he's saying things to us in a way, remember how you get into a parable, you have to figure out who you're supposed to identify with and then you have to enter into the story identifying with that person so that you'll feel what they feel. God's given us this amazing capacity to do that. And when we feel what they feel, that then changes us pretty much as if we'd gone through it. See, if you just read a parable on the surface, just here's what it said, it won't affect you. It'll just be another story in your life, and we're overfilled with stories now, right? But if you'll enter into the story, if you'll enter into the parable, if you'll enter into and have happened to you what the, has happening to the person in the story, then it affects you. And what Jesus is trying to do at the end of the master's level here is he's trying to shape and form us, those planks we talked about. He's trying to create something in us so that whenever anything happens now, when he's gone, no matter whatever happens, it'll go in there and it'll hit the right places in the right way and cause the right responses, cause the right stuff, cause him to be manifesting through us. See that? So this is what he's doing right now. He's giving us parable after parable after parable. And I, I just couldn't possibly love where these two start more. Watch this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Remember what we were talking about in that prayer time in worship. I'm going to try and layer this idea in so that you see what God was doing that I didn't get. Okay? Here are religious people that have created an us versus them mentality. See it? But what's Jesus done? He's gone over there and is actually criticizing the religious people. <laughs> Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> How? This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious laws complain. Now, it was jealousy, but the way they put it was, is you're supposed to be holy and you're getting defiled by all these dirty people. And Jesus is saying, amen. <laughs> Not that it would defile him, but rather that he would bring holiness to them. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them for heaven's sakes. We live in a culture right now to where if you don't eat with sinners, you don't eat with anybody. Okay? You're alone. Right? And there's something about standing on a street corner trying to tell somebody what to do versus going out to lunch with them and feeding and eating together. It's an entirely different moment, isn't it? Now, listen to the parables. So Jesus told him the story. If a man has a hundred sheep, this is what the religious people aren't getting and what he wants him to get. 
So you're the religious person. Who are you supposed to be identifying with? Find who you're supposed to be identifying with and identify him with and read, as I read the parable, have it happen to you what happened to this person. So Jesus told him, if a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now notice, notice one little small thing. He's not saying over to 90 people that think they're righteous but are not. He could have added that. But, even, but what he's saying is, I just want you to feel the joy of who? Who is the person in the story? Who's the shepherd? God. God is the shepherd. But wait a minute, who are we supposed to be identifying with? The shepherd. We're supposed to be identifying. We're supposed to be feeling the joy of being somebody who's found what is lost and bringing it home, which is what God is feeling. Do you see it? Now, this is pretty interesting. He's having us identify with God's perspective. (laughs) He's having us feel the joy that he feels. And he goes on again and says, a man in one story, a woman in another, okay, Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin, this thing of great value. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Who are we supposed to be identifying with? The girl. And who's the girl? God. (laughs) Once again, he's saying, identify, identify. Feel what God feels. The next parable, the one I think we're doing next week, should the Lord let me, uh, the next parable is is prodigal son. And you do remember, when he says rejoice, you remember what he's saying. Kill the fatted calf and throw a party. So here's the question that I started out with. What makes God happy? There. This is what makes God happy. When people turn to him, when they come to him, when people come to God, he is joyful. His, he invites all the heavenly host in, and they are joyful, and they have a party. <laughs> Let's be clear. This is what it's saying. This is what makes God want it. Don't you want to have God have a party? <laughs> Particularly if you had something to do with it. And particularly because he's saying that you will feel that joy too. Right? Do we feel that joy? Do we? Yes. Watch. Just, I'm going to be careful here when I do this now. Evangelism stats. Only 1 in 20 Americans will ever lead anyone else to Christ in their lifetimes. 1 in 20 It means 95% of all Christians will never know the joy that Jesus just laid out. The joy of finding one that was lost, of finding something of great value, bringing it back. Only one in 20, 95%. Okay? Now, I want to be really careful here. I I put that stat up first because I wanted us to see whether or not that's true here. So this could be a very embarrassing moment. Would you do me a favor? Don't lie. I actually want us to see something because I think God wants us to see it. So don't be embarrassed. But just, if you've ever brought anybody to the Lord, raise your hand. If you haven't, don't, but raise your hand. That's extraordinary. And no, no, all right? Here's the point. Here's what I do know about everybody who hasn't. And if if you go to church here, if you go to church here, the chances are really high that you're trying really hard to bring somebody, okay? The stats are that only one in 10 will ever even try. But we had, what was that, 60% of the room that had raised their hands about having brought somebody? And I can guarantee you if we said, has anybody ever tried? Every hand in this place goes up. For real, you have really tried. Just real quickly, 
We're only going to do a couple of testimonies on here. Somebody who brought somebody to the Lord. What did it feel like? Is, was there a party? Did, would it feel like a party? Somebody, we need a, a, a thing. Or is somebody doing the mics? Somebody working the mics? Okay, go ahead. Stand up. Stand up. Let her have a mic. Stand up. I want her to have a mic. Okay, go ahead. What? I don't want to stand up. Okay, then just say it from there. I don't care. I, I mean, I was just surprised that it happened. <laughs> like, and, and was it joyful? I mean, it was like, it was just weird because it's me and it <laughs> happened. And so, I love you, Heather. I mean, it was surprising. I mean, yeah. it, it worked and I was just being me and I'm not like the best example. I actually think, I think that's, that's why I wanted to do this live, because that is the best example. Because wait till you hear what we're going to get to here. Everybody always thinks, oh no, you have the gift of evangelism, and you're really good at talking people into the kingdom. It turns out that's not how you get people in the kingdom. Okay? I'm not saying you can't ever do that, but go ahead. All the time that I was in the homeless shelter, the women in there kept seeing me leave early in the morning, because I was coming here to do the volunteer work. And I've brought a few of those women to this church. Yeah. And they do come and they help too. Um, and so I'm grateful because they were curious where you go. Have any of them and come I to the Lord yet? Yes, a couple of them. No. how does that make you feel? Oh, great. Because <laughs> it was only setting an example of, you know. Yeah. I wasn't Let's, thinking about it. I was just doing it. That's awesome. One more. Just one more. Okay, who's, who's got a great story? Just how did it make you feel that somebody came to the Lord that you'd been praying for and working with for a long time? Sandy Campbell, that's awesome. Sandy Campbell, an old evangelism, uh, just a veteran, okay? Go ahead. Did you call her old? Yeah. No, <laughs> I did not. And erase it from the tape. <laughs> I am uh, old. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's the scripture that talks about all the heavenly hosts rejoicing, the angels rejoicing in heaven when someone comes to the Lord? Well, this. <laughs> well, there's another one that specifically says the angels rejoice in heaven. Well, the angels rejoice to look into what it is that we experience. So, yes. Okay. There would be several places, and I'm probably missing one, so sorry, well, but go ahead. that's what I feel like when I feel ecstatic and super excited, and I'm jumping for joy, and I'm feeling like I'm celebrating with all the angels in heaven. Okay, now, how nerve-wracking was it to put yourself out there like that? Um, sometimes it's terrifying, sometimes it's not. <laughs> I got it, I got it. When it's terrifying, uh -huh. and then they actually come to the Lord, was it worth it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay? Sure. Okay, so what I want us to just see here, just for a second, is, is we all know that this is something that is awesome. Even if we haven't experienced it, we know that this is something that is incredible. This, this joy that we have, that the heavenly host have, we experience it too. God has this for us. So now what I want to do is I just want to do something because remember I, at, at Church on the Beach, I read an email from somebody who doesn't yet know the Lord. And they wrote me this really cool thing about how it, that this turns out to not just mean that we're in God, which was my sermon from the week before, but that it also means we're in one another. And that was the sermon that I preached at Church at the Beach. Well, in this email, he brought up something about this idea of being in God and being in one another and how incredible that is. Now, he doesn't know the Lord and doesn't, you know... He, this isn't a thing that is like from his feelings. This is a thing where he's just going, smart person. He's just going, now watch. So he says, John Piper talks a lot about a foundational piece of Christian love being, look, a foundational piece of Christian love being the desperate willingness to die in order to bring more non-Christians into the fold. Arguably the most effective, I've added the word, important thing you can do on earth is to expand the number of people that know him. It's the most important thing that they're ever going to experience. So I think evangelism should be way more prominently discussed. Now, here's the truth. We don't really want it discussed way more because it's uncomfortable. Because it makes it, I want to give that to the evangelists and leave it to them. You're telling me to go out and put myself in that place. You push me on that every single week, I might not come back. Now, that's not a reason for me to not preach it. And I think we preach this all the time here. 
almost every message, friends, family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors, right? These people that you're associated with. These are the people you're going to be praying for. These are the people you're going to be going after. But the bottom line is, is I love what he's saying, which is we should be prominently featuring this because it is incredible. It's amazing. It's astounding. Okay. What if it turns out that it's also much easier? Now watch this. Watch what he says here, because this is a great little addition here. Of course, not in the weird, traditional, firebrand, apologetic way, but in the early Christian church, wow, they're generous and loving way. This is a guy that doesn't know the Lord yet, and I keep saying to him, what do you mean you don't know the Lord? How can you say things like this? (laughs) Because that's perfect. The person standing on the street corner, passing out tracts, God bless them for that. Hopefully it'll save somebody. People have gotten saved that way. So thank you, Lord, for that. But what if it turns out that evangelism is not actually evangelism the way we think about it? What if it turns out that God gave us a way to do evangelism that doesn't even seem like we're evangelizing? Literally, doesn't even seem like it. What if there's a way to bring people? Now, let me just, let me just do this. I gotta do a little sidebar right now. That's what I'm getting you to. But I wanna show you something what this church does in order to try and help you reach your friends, your family, your coworkers, and your neighbors. This is something that we do, and I'm highlighting it right now because of the sermon, and I'm also highlighting it right now because of Josh Morris. Josh, are you here? I don't wanna, I don't wanna steal your thunder from heaven on this, but, but Josh Morris is owed everything that, that this church could possibly ever do to thank him. The number of things that he does and the way that he does them, but Josh took it on himself to fix problems that we were having with the streaming and posting and all that kind of stuff. And he's done a remarkable job, so I wanted to call attention to somebody who's making a difference in a whole bunch of people's lives. You cannot believe how many people are watching our sermons. This is only one way of watching them. They're they're all over. But they're they're engaged in a dialogue with God because of what's happening here. And it's because of the kinds of things that Josh is doing. And one of the things he did is he improved the camera so that that's much better. The streaming has just been brought to an entirely different level, so on and so forth. But I want to show you something here. I want to show you how easy it is Two, do this first kind of evangelism where you're doing something to reach out to somebody. In a bit, I'm going to show you of an evangelism where you're not doing anything, at least to reach out to somebody. But right now, in this kind of evangelism, watch this. This is a video right now, and you're going to see my cursor come in here. And you see, this is the front page of our website, and I want you to see right on the front page, there's sermons that go back years, okay, way longer than anybody ever cares, Okay. So there's bunches and bunches of sermons. But then the point is, is we post these about one hour after. And what you can do is you can just tell your friend, go to lakesam.org and just go to the front page. And about two hours after it, you can play the video. You can watch, run the audio. You can download it. You can watch it. Or you can do this. And this is what I think is the best thing to do. That's super easy. This is slightly more complicated, but not much. You go to media and then you go watch the latest sermons. And it's going to take one second to load. But now watch. Now this page, look at how robust this is. See, there's a whole bunch of sermons down here too, so you can click to any one of them, and they all have that same little window right there. You can click on like, and that'll just tell people you like the sermon. I don't even know where that goes. That's not it. You, you click on that and copy it, and now you can Facebook message somebody, you can email somebody, and you can tell them at about 20 minutes in, there's something he said that was amazing. Listen to this. Or you can do what I just did. You saw the share button? You just drop it down into Facebook. Now, this is going a little broader again. But you just click it back in, and it'll populate your Facebook, uh, the, the little app that does it that we've got set up. And you can just say, I'm writing in a check at 15 minutes. So a person doesn't have to watch the whole sermon. I get it. You don't want to send somebody an hour-long sermon. I get it. Trust me. Okay, I don't even like listening to them. They're too long. Okay? <laughs> but the bottom line is, but the bottom line is, is you can say at 15 minutes, and what happens if at 15 minutes it triggers and then they say, you know what, I'd like to listen to more of that. Now I want to tell you something. We're trying to facilitate your ability to reach your friends. And, and by the way, the one that I just did was serenity. Because I'm telling you, when you send a pro- professional, me, I get paid, when you send a professional pastor doing this, people already discount it. But how cool is it to be able to be in this church and say, this isn't a pastor, this is just a person in the congregation who gave a superb 
message last week. Knocked out of the park. Again, don't mean to steal your gifts in heaven, but I'm stealing everybody's today, so what the heck. But, but the bottom line, an absolutely superb, and go, listen to what this person from the congregation had to say at 30 minutes. That's them. This is me. See what I mean? This is just a person talking about this thing in a way that is their testimony, their witness. And you're giving it to somebody in a way that took you seconds. I'm telling you, use this. You know, you look at why God allows certain things to happen. Social media, and you think, well, that just happens because. And of course it does. But you do understand that God likes to spread the gospel. And so the printing press was the technological breakthrough for all mankind that allowed the Bible to be in every person's hands. You understand that Facebook, without being obnoxious, because you can still put Adam Lebonsky's jokes up on your Facebook page, because they're hilarious. But you can also post a thing up there that says, check this out at 25 minutes. Just, just scroll it over. It's super simple. It works great. See, all right, do I push this button enough? Okay, all right. So this is us trying to help you reach your friends, reach your family, reach your neighbors. I thought you'd really like this. Check it out at, right? And they just, they just click the link, it's there. Okay. Having said that, now we're going to this other type of evangelism where you don't even know you're evangelizing. The kind that I think the world is really in desperate need of based on what happened here at worship today. This is the end of both of these parables. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed. In the same way of the lost coin, there's joy in the presence of God angels when even one sinner repents. Now, I want to point out something to you. You, you got the joy and everything else, but there's a weird word he's using here. Twice. And God doesn't use weird words except for a reason. What he says is what they repent over, what they rejoice over is repentance. Here's the way we would say it if we were saying it. What God rejoices over is just somebody coming into a relationship with him, because that's what we're trying to bring him into, his relationship with him, right? And by the way, let me say, that's what you should be bringing him into, relationship with him. They're not going to understand their sin until they're in relationship with him, not really, Okay? So what God is trying to do is bring people into relationship. But do understand that the moment at which the heavens rejoice is when a person repents. Now what is, so let's look at it. What does repentance mean? We've done it before. It's really simple. Here's what repentance means. I am walking one way and repentance means I turn around and I start walking another direction. That repentance means I turn my foot, literally. Turn your foot. Now here's what this means. I know what's best for my life. I know what I want to do. I know what I'm going to do. And then you go, oh, God has a better way. So I'm going to turn from what I want to do. And I'm going to walk into what he has for me. A man makes his plans, God directs his steps. Repentance is just the garden. Don't choose what you think is good. Choose what he thinks is good. In fact, watch this, okay? When we talk about repentance and we talk about salvation, we don't understand how intimately those two are really linked. We know it in our minds, but we don't really get the depths of how they're linked. So here's what it takes to be saved, real simple. It's so hard to be saved. You have to take a test, and then you have to pass the test. And then you have to do, you know, 15 hours of community service, and then you have to bring somebody to the Lord, and then you have to, right? This is, no, here's what it takes to be saved, super simple. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Simple. Now, here's the problem. It's so simple that we don't know what it means. Because here's what it means. If you confess with your mouth, here's what that means. Declaration of intent. Declaration, proclamation of whose path you're on. I am confessing that I am no longer my own, I am Christ's. I am confessing, I am proclaiming. And by the way, I'm not just proclaiming it to the world. As we learn in our baptism sermons, I'm proclaiming it to the heavens. I'm proclaiming what? 
Jesus is Lord. Now, right there, that Jesus right there, that's a, that's a, that's a biggie. Because what's he saying? This is Paul, remember? This is Paul who lived when Jesus was alive. Paul who wrote this just after he died. And here's what Paul's saying right then. Jesus is God. Understand. This, you know, there's people that'll say, well, we didn't come to understand that he was God until much later. No, they understood exactly who he was. Jesus is God. In fact, that's what it means to say Jesus is Lord. Now, here's the, here's the word. We just celebrated Independence Day. What does independence mean? We're not slaves. We're not in bondage. We're not taxed by the British government. We're not, we're not, we're, we're independent. There is a, there's a declaration going around, a proclamation going around. Look for it and sign it. It says, a declaration of dependence. <laughs> I want to I do my declaration of dependence upon God. But do you see this? It's Lord. Now, what does that word mean? Because this is the part we don't get. Why? Because, thank God, we have in the obvious ways and increasingly in the less than obvious ways, we've gotten rid of slavery in this country. I'm not saying there's not any more. I'm just saying that it's taken on a very different character than it did when it was the South and picking cotton and so on. Right? But now watch. The regular expression for Lord, Lord, or Master is kyros which in the Greek New Testament also is used of masters, masters, husbands, and rulers. Such a confession was fraught with meaning, meaning we don't get. In common usage, Lord reflected the slave system and implied the absolute power exercised by the master over the slave. Now, as good Americans, we're not we're good Americans, we're not gonna let anybody be over us. You're not gonna tell me what to do. As good Christians, we take on the name of Christ. That's what Christian means. <laughs> I have clothed myself in Christ, and I have let him become my master. Yes, it is true that he set me free. Because what I didn't realize before was, I thought that the way I was going was my choice. But in fact, I was in bondage. I was being mastered by the world. And now what has happened is Christ has set me free and free, I say, oh, well, that way is much better than the way I was going. And I go that way. Now, when I go that way, watch. Here's what I'm saying when I declare him to be Lord. You're the one that decides. Here's what a slave does not do. Wake up at 9, 9.30, whenever it feels right read the paper, watch a little morning, do a couple of emails, go do a chore, whatever you want. Here's what a slave does. Whatever the master tells them. <laughs> you don't make a decision. You make a decision as a Christian to follow God but then what you're doing when you say you're following him is you're making him your master, which is to say you're doing whatever he tells you to do. And the cool thing about God is, is that if you learn how to walk with him, he's always leading you. And yes, he still gives you choice as Christians not to follow him, so we're not actually slaves, says Romans. But what Paul says is it's really profitable to think of yourself as one. It just works out better for you. So think of yourself as he's the one that's setting your agenda. He's the one that's telling you to do. He's the one that's leading you. And all you're doing is follow him as a slave would a master. It isn't your choice. It isn't your decision. He's the decider. You do whatever he says. Because that's the better way. Even if you don't get it, even if you don't like it. That's the better way. Right? Now this is what it means to be Lord. And in fact, going deeper... Scripture will often talk, Tom talks about bond slave. You know what a bond slave is, most of you? Real simple, it's in Deuteronomy. This is where it comes from. If you're slave because he loves you, wait a minute, slaves don't love masters. Actually, yes, they do. Depends on the master. 
in a culture where wars, warring armies come and take your land and take stuff from you and take you and enslave you and do all kinds of stuff, it's nice to be under somebody who can protect you. It's nice to be under God who can protect you. It's nice to be under a master who doesn't abuse you, and God makes it very clear about slaves that you're to treat them as human beings, as precious and valuable in God's sight. He makes it clear in the Old Testament and the New, despite what people will try and say. They don't understand the requirements that God put on a master, and that was to treat that person with the dignity that they were due, the care that was due. That's what he says. But then this idea comes about that you're giving yourself over to them. Why? Because you love them. Your family has a good life because of that master. Isn't that true in Christ? So the person says, I don't want to leave. <laughs> I got it. I've come to the end of my service. God has released me. That's another one of the requirements of a slavery in Old Testament is that you get released. When you get released, you can say, I have a better life with my master than I would on my own. So I choose to be with him. And if that happens, then take an owl and pierce it through his earlobe into the doorpost, making him as your slave forever. Do the same with the women. Just, do women know that this is where earrings likely come from? Most scholars believe this is where they come from. I think maybe women would be a little less likely to wear earrings. <laughs> but it shouldn't actually make you less likely to. Because it's a declaration of something that's good. Right? Except that we just rebel against having anybody over us. But you see, that's the thing that, this is the thing that he's trying to bring home. He's, if you want to understand, see, we now understand what it means to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It means that I'm confessing I was going away that wasn't good, and now I'm going away that is good. Jesus is Lord of me. He's the decider. He's the one that helps me understand what to think and why and how. And he'll show me what it is. It's very reasonable. It's not without intellect. But the bottom line is, it still is him being the master. Having said that, the second thing that he says is, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Why is that important? Well, we learned it in our baptism sermon. Here's what it is. You already chose to go away from God, and so you are separated from him. So you must die and you die in Christ because Christ is the one who rises again. So when you believe that Jesus rose again, what you're saying is, is I've been made new. Which is the only way that you're ever going to be able to call Jesus Lord. <laughs> really Lord. Is if you've been made new and you have the Holy Spirit inside giving you a new nature and, and leading you into the great things of God, the incredible glorious things of God. You see it? If you're not made new, you won't do it. In fact, the scripture literally says, nobody except by the Spirit can say that Jesus is Lord. <laughs> right? So this is what it's saying. See, and we say, well, I, I'm going to accept Jesus as my Savior, and yes, I believe that he rose again, but we have no idea of what it means. I'm declaring him to be Lord. And so here's what heaven does, I think, with a lot of our salvations these days. Heaven, we're walking this way, and then we stop, and heaven kind of, heaven says, get ready for a party. Because <laughs> they confess with their mouth something, and they really do think something, but have they really done that something yet? And I think that heaven is waiting for that moment at which you go, oh, I've been made new. I feel differently. I see differently. I want differently. I'm going to follow you because you're different and better. And then heaven goes, woohoo! <laughs> right? The party begin. Bring out the streamers. Now, if all of this is true, by the way, this is the way the message says it. I love it. Say the welcoming word to God. This is that verse we've been looking at. Say the welcoming word. The welcome God. Say the welcoming word to God that Jesus is my master embracing body and soul, God's work of doing in us what he did in raising Jesus from the dead. See, let him do the work in you to transform you. That's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God, trusting him to do it for you. That's salvation. Isn't that nice? Okay, so if all that's true, then we have a huge question. 
How do we bring, what does it take to bring someone to the Lord in a way that genuinely gets them to the point of repentance? This place where they actually declare him to be Lord and start to actually follow him. How do we get to that place? Because, because I can tell you what doesn't work. This doesn't work. I'm not saying it's never, ever worked. I'm just saying it doesn't work as a, as a rule of thumb. The guy who's sitting out there making an us versus them, telling what is apparently concert goers going to some heathen concert of some type. And I love this particular photo because you can see the guy going to the concert is making fun of the guy who's telling him to repent. And he's calling other people to make fun of him. And look at the guy behind him. What a perfect picture of what this kind of us versus them turns into. And the people in the world who are watching the things that we do have their arms folded and are going, this is so stupid. My strong suspicion is that guy standing back there actually knows the Lord. And I think he's sitting there going, what the heck? Do you see it? Now that's a total guess on my part on that, right? But, and, 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 you know, God bless you. If you've ever, st st I don't know, whatever. I, let me get to what actually works. Tax collectors and notorious sinners came to listen to Jesus. Jesus went to tax collectors and sinners. And he went to them so much, the tax collectors and sinners started coming to him. <laughs> when he comes and talks to us, he says something that makes sense in a way that makes me think that I want to hear more. And he doesn't hold me at arm's length. He dines with me. He invites me into his household and he comes into mine. He does what the religious people won't do particularly in that day and age. He reaches out to me. He loves me. It's clear that he cares about me. If you don't care about somebody, they're not going to care about what you care about. <laughs> right? If you care about somebody, then they're going to care about why you care. Okay, let's just take it a little further. Now watch this. So, the question that we asked was, is how do we get to a place to where we actually can bring people to a place of repentance? And here's, here's, the, here's the thing that God's saying. And you don't even have to try and lead them to me. How can you do that? The easiest way is to actually truly, fully, richly, completely, and utterly be a person that actually repents. Right? Be somebody who's being transformed by God all the time. Not just one moment and, boy, you saw how much God changed me and now you're just still an idiot. Or a jerk. Or obnoxious. Or unloving. Or uncaring. Or polarizing. Right? What happens? What happens if you get changed? Look, look lots of people in here have family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors that they love, and that they so want to come to Christ. And you have changed, and you thought that they should see that you changed. And they did, but they, they didn't change them. And so you're still trying. What are you going to do next? Why didn't you see how much I changed? <laughs> Why didn't you come? You know, I changed so much. And don't you, What's wrong with you? Well, what happens if instead they've been watching you for, you know, God doesn't care if a person comes to the Lord when they're one or 100. The party is, is that they come to the Lord and they're given a lifetime to do so. So what happens if they watch you for 20, 30, 40, 50 years? And here's what they see. For 50 years, I've watched that person change and then change again and then change again and then change again. I've watched that person become an entirely different person, and it seems like they keep becoming an entirely new person. Is that going to have an effect on this person that you love, that you want to have come to the Lord? And what was it again that you said to them? Was it a track you gave them? Was it an apologetic? Right? 
What you did is you just did the thing that benefits you the most. That's what I promised you at the very beginning. What if there was a way of doing evangelism that was actually benefiting you as much or more than the person that was getting transformed, <laughs> evangelized? I mean, isn't that the walk that we're supposed to be on? Aren't we supposed to be continually transformed? Don't you understand that no matter how holy you are, you are but filthy rags? That God has infinitely more? Don't we understand? How, why do we, I've become a Christian and I've plateaued. There's no such thing as plateauing. Annie Hall, there was that famous little joke in there about you know, their relationship between Woody Allen and Annie Hall. And he said, you know, he says, a shark needs to keep moving in order to stay alive. He said, I think what we've got here is a dead shark. Is that your relationship with Christ? Is it a dead shark? If it's moving, you're going to be changing. I, there's a thing that happens here, and I'm going to say this, and don't anybody get offended at me, but people will say this to me quite oftentimes, and it should be embarrassing that they say it to me, and I take it as thank God. But here's what they say to me a lot. Boy, you know, Kurt, I've been praying for you for years to get that. I'm so glad you finally got it. Now, that should be embarrassing. I should take offense. But here's the truth. Praise God that I finally got it. <laughs> They're not wrong. They're not wrong that I needed to change. They're not wrong. <sighs> we're the only ones. When we're stopped and we got it, we're the only ones that think we got it. Everybody else can look at us really quick and say, you don't got it yet. Not that you don't got some of it. Not that you don't got a lot of it. But you don't got it all. And if we would just orient our lives to a continual process of having turned our foot from the things, because even when you're walking in him, we keep getting diverted into our own path. And then all of a sudden, God says, now look at this. This is what he's doing in our culture right now. Remember, a year and a half ago, I said, God has withdrawn his protection, and we've slipped down another notch. That doesn't mean completely. It doesn't mean he's not protecting us all. It just means that things that didn't used to go haywire are going to now start going haywire. I said that a year and a half ago, thinking it was the Lord, asking you to discern it with me. It seemed like it was the Lord. And now here we are a year and a half later, and can anybody tell me that God hasn't been allowing us to experience consequences of things that we didn't experience before? I mean, by God, this is crazy what's happening. The, the polarizing, and not just people shooting each other. That's the one that is at the top of the pinnacle because, my God, that's bad. But look at our politics. Look at our culture. Look at everything. Now, Jesus does say something. Don't misunderstand me. He does say, there must come division amongst you so that I can show who's approved. But here's the point about Jesus. He was that division without lording it over. He was that division in coming under and washing feet. He was that division that had found someplace better and did not forget, as the scripture says. Now, Jesus didn't have to because he didn't sin, but, but we're not to forget where we came from. We're not to forget who we would be if it weren't for God, if it weren't for what he's done. And that right there ought to bend your knee enough that you can never point your finger at anybody. But it doesn't mean that you can't speak to it. It doesn't mean that you can't lift up in a silent witness the truth of the transformation in your life. Right? And that's the thing. That's the thing that they're going to see. And at some point in time, they may even ask you, what's up? And don't worry about what you're going to say in that day, says the Lord. I'll tell you. I'll give it to you. I'm the one who brings them. I just want you to do what I've asked you to do, which is be transformed by me. <laughs> right? So here's what we're saying. We're saying that God, that God, we are saying that God truly can change their lives, so let him truly change ours. The way that we can be salt and light in our world today is not to be accusatory about the black side or the white side or the blue side or the Black Lives Matter side or anything like that, the way that we can change a situation is to repent ourselves. And I, I did it in the prayer this morning. I really believe this with all my heart. The reason why this country is going to hell in a handbasket is because of us. It's not that we're doing good and everybody else is doing bad. It's that we're being compromised like everybody else. And we've failed to be salt and to be light. We failed to be the kind of witness that would cause people to say, whatever that thing is out there, what you've got is better. 
Now, he pulls his covering back to a degree to let us see things so that people will say, how are you doing this? Do you see it? How are you handling that? Why are you saying these things? Why are you acting this way? And, and let, me just, let me just get to it right here. Here's a key, okay? You know what that's called, the blue one? It's called a facade. Here's the key. If you try and put up a fake front about how good you're doing, how tall you are, how holy you are, and it's fake, everybody knows it isn't real. Everybody knows it's an inch deep. Everybody knows it. So it doesn't change anybody. They just say, why do you think it's fooling me? Because the only person it seems to be fooling is you. <laughs> you see it? I'm going to tell you one story. This is the depths to which I think God has to transform us for us to be a witness that changes lives, that brings them to repentance. I've told the story before. I'll do so quickly. I was watching uh, 700 Club. It's I just have watched so little of the 700 Club. I actually think it's a wonderful program and so on. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it seems to me like it is, so and whatever. I don't watch it enough to know. But, but they have some great testimonies on there. My brother Dave was on there one time. Uh, but bottom line, they were interviewing a guy who'd been a prisoner, and his name in the prison was Crazy Chico. And for those of you who've heard this story before, just hang in there with me. But his name was Crazy Chico, and he's one of these, he's probably like 5'4", and he's a perfect V-shape, you know, just rippling with muscles and all this kind of stuff. And he had gotten in some trouble in the world, that, and then when he got into prison, he was so bad in prison, that's why they called him Crazy Chico, that he kept getting in fights and stabbing people and killing people in prison. So they had to put him into isolation. So he's sitting here in isolation, and the only guy he sees every day is the guy that feeds him. So every day, this great big, he's 5'4", and he said, this guy was twice my size. This great big black guard comes in, and he brings the food, and under the food, he's got a Bible. And every day, he comes in, and he puts that food down in front of him, and he looks at him, and he says, Jesus loves you. And Crazy Chico said that infuriated me so much that I, every day, all I could do was think about when he came in there, what I could do to get him to stop saying that. And so I knocked the food on him. I'd throw stuff at him. I would spit in his face. He said I did everything I could possibly think of to get him to stop saying that Jesus loved me when he walked in there. And he said, now this is him talking. And he said, one day I figured out what to do. And he said he walked in there and he, and he, and he, and he put down the food and he said, Jesus loves you. And Chico said, let me see that Bible, giving the guy a false hope. And he said, the guy gave me the Bible, big, thick Bible. And he says, I grabbed it with both hands and I held onto it so tight. And I swung it so hard at his face that when I hit his face, it sounded like a baseball bat hitting a ball because it shattered his nose and it cracked. It was so loud, it sounded like I did a home run. And he said, now I knew exactly what was going to happen next. My whole life has been what happens after that moment. And so he said, I broke down into my stance ready to fight him. Because that's what you do. When you break somebody's nose like that, that's what you do. And he says, I break down in my stance like this. And he says, here's this gigantic guy. And blood is gushing from his nose. Just gushing from his nose. And tears are just streaming out of his eyes because he's in so much pain. And he said, this guy looks at me and he says, Jesus loves you. And he said, that was the moment. <laughs> That's what I did not expect. That's what I could not expect. That was the reaction that was so out of what it should have been that it made me rethink, that it made me reconsider. And it caused me to say, maybe there's something to it, Jesus, that can do that. Because I know this, and that's better. And since that time, the guy started all kinds of ministries and brought all kinds of people to the Lord and been amazing. We have to be so transformed that when people see what God is doing in us, it isn't just that we're acting differently. It's that we react differently. No, that's not the right word, is it? It's that we are actually different. And when they see that difference, when they 
cuss at you to quit telling them about Jesus anymore and you respond in a way that was completely unexpected because you're different? And by the way, that doesn't just work with a person that you've known for 20 years. That works fantastically with a person that you've known for 20 seconds. When they do something to you that is totally wrong and you respond in a way that is totally God, they see it too. And you're giving a person a moment to respond. A picture is worth a thousand words. Live a changed life, a truly changed life in a way that other people did not even think was possible. That's worth a million words. We're going to do something here. We're going to do it fairly fast, a little faster than I wanted, but we're going to do it fairly fast. Grab your three by five card. It's in your pocket. This one right here. Everybody needs one. You can't do this with two people. Everybody needs their own. Three by five card with a pen. Grab a pen. Pam, thanks. Okay, here's what I want you to do. We're going to take two minutes to do this, two minutes to do another thing, and then we're going to be done. Here's what I want you to do. While Pam is playing, on the front side of the card, the, the line side, let the Holy Spirit bring to your mind things of which you need to repent. As they come to mind, write them down on the front side of your three-by-five card. In about a minute and a half, I'm going to call us to prayer. And you're going to pray, pray, silently pray and repent of these things that God had you write down, okay? So that's number one. Thank you, Pam. in the way that the Lord would lead you. Determine in your heart by his power to turn your foot from these things. Just take about 30 seconds here and just say, God, I repent of this. Let the heavens rejoice with you. Repent of these things that he's brought to your heart. flip the card over and I want you to do this let the spirit bring to mind people that you've wronged some of the things in the front of this card are going to be people that you wronged so write them on the back and then ask the Lord is there anybody else that I've wronged 
that I need to repent of the wrong that I did against them. just take 30 seconds and just give to the Lord what you did. Ask him to forgive you. Repent from it. This is where you can put this into action now. This is where you can break something. Pray like crazy over how to best of truly repent of the people that are on the back of our card. How can I truly repent of that? How can I approach them and ask for forgiveness? How can I, what can I do? Is there anything I could and should be doing in the Lord? to truly repent of this, to truly turn my foot so that it never happens again, it isn't in play ever again. When you've fully prayed through it, when you've fully and truly repented and changed, then call that person and or get together with them. This week, this week, put a nice little timetable on it, it'll help you do it. This week. Uh, Wanda, would you help me remember? Send a little email out you know, to do this about Thursday. Be sure to not just apologize, but ask them to forgive you. Always remember that when you apologize to somebody and you don't ask them to forgive, you're not allowing them to partake in what's happening here. When you just say, I really messed up, you're not all the way home yet. What you need to be saying is, is please forgive me. Because when you do that, it's that step that puts you in their hands. And it gives them an opportunity to participate in what's taking place here, a choice. They can choose to do it or not. But that, God can do what he wants now in them. Right? Asking for forgiveness is going to get you a lot further to somebody that you wronged than just telling them that you know you did wrong. Right? 